0: Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a ph through this podcast i will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience so sit back grab a cuppa even if it's cold take off your bra and enjoy Welcome to episode 19 of the podcast. Uh, before I introduce today's guest, I quickly want to tell you about a little giveaway I'm running. So the podcast has reached 3,000 downloads this week, which I'm very very excited and grateful for Um, thank you to everyone who listens it's amazing Um, but I want to do a little giveaway to celebrate so I am offering a one-on-one zoom call uh, for a postpartum pep talk so basically what that is is if you're pregnant if you're in early motherhood or even if you've got a toddler um, we can have a chat about anything that you might be um, struggling with, if you want to do some postpartum planning, setting some boundaries for when your baby arrives, Any sort of breastfeeding, troubleshooting, basically anything that I offer as a postpartum doula, we can talk about. Um, I've put a post up on Instagram to find out some more details, but all you need to do to enter is leave a written review on Apple Podcasts and just send me a screenshot on Instagram uh, and I will draw the winners on the winner on the 9th of October. So go and do that now before you listen to today's episode. Um, even if, you, um, if it's not something that would suit you where you are right now in your motherhood journey or life journey, if you want to gift it to someone, um, that would also be amazing. Uh, these sessions are available as well um, for $45 and I'm only um, running five of them so, and one's already booked and I'm giving away once. There's three left. <laughs> so um, check out my Instagram to get all of the details on that. Today's episode is with Carly Smith. Uh, Carly is a doula uh, based in the Mornington Peninsula area. She is a mentor of mine and a friend and someone that I was really looking forward to talking to about her postpartum experiences. She's had um, two, two babies and um, she has a really interesting story because she was working in the um, human rights law area when she became a mother and she had really empowering birth experiences and postpartum experiences because of all of um, the reading and educating she did while she was pregnant and she was looking for a bit of a career change after her second child was born and then ended up becoming a doula so she's done a full 180 and now works to help empower other women and birthing people um and really get them up to date and up to speed with uh, what their rights are in the birth space and um yeah she's really just the biggest champion of pregnant people so i hope you enjoy this episode um please leave a review. Like I said at the beginning, it's how I can get this podcast out to new listeners and it means the world to me. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> so tell me a little bit
1: about who you are and who's in your life. Sure. So I'm Carly. I'm a 37 years old. I don't know why I'm starting with my age. I think it's just a way to not start with I'm a mother of two. (laughs) Um, I live on the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne. I'm married to Mark and we have two children who are five and two. And I am passionate about birth and motherhood and parenthood and thriving in all of it and taking meaning and just making it rich and a wealthy time, like wealthy in terms of like quality of life and experience. And um, yeah, so I am um, just, I don't even know what else to say on that. You're a doula. Just, I'm a doula. Yeah. <laughs> you can just edit out a whole bunch of this shit. My brain is so scattered. Um, I'm a doula. I'm a birth and postpartum doula on the peninsula and i have had a lot of different this is not my i haven't been in this field forever mm. the last few years since i've had children has been an interest to me but prior to that i was in a total different life i guess and so it's all now just bringing everything together into birth and thriving mm-hmm. mm. so what was
0: postpartum like for you? Mm. We'll talk about like comparatively the first Mm -hmm. versus the second, but Mm -hmm. let's start with the first time.
1: Sure. So the first time was six years ago, I guess, five and a half years ago, nearly six years ago. I did and didn't know what to expect. I um, kind of tend more toward the unstructured natural, um, Kind of ways of doing things as opposed to routine. And I'm not a type A type person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was prepared for a lot of the standard things like disrupted sleep and um, that sort of thing. I had a baby who slept a lot at night mm-hmm. uh, from about six weeks onwards until about six months of age. And so I really felt good in that time because I was getting solid rest and we know that's one of the, you know, foundational things to mm-hmm. thriving in new motherhood, new parenthood. So uh, yeah, I found things frustrating, but I I don't feel like I experienced a lot of sadness or um, confusion or things like that. I had a really wonderful birth experience. And so I wasn't, uh, trying to make sense of that in any kind of unpacking trauma way mm-hmm. so I really came out of birth feeling really great and recovered very quickly and well and I was on a high for a very long time I was very much in love with my baby the minute she came out mm-hmm. very overwhelming emotions like good ones mm. not that emotions are good and bad but um you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed that time. It wasn't until about six months when her sleep patterns changed that I started to feel then a little more anxious, a little more reading into things, a little more um, just not as go the flow, take the mm. cues as I was before. So that was probably the harder time. I also kind of struggled with having enough food around, (laughs) not meals because my husband was around um, as well, but snacks, I really struggled with snacks for some reason. This became a thing and it became a, a big thing where I had this big meltdown one day. I remember just being like, there's nothing healthy to eat. Like I'm eating crap food for snacks. Like, you know, it's fine when you come home and cook dinner and I have leftovers for lunch, but like, I'm just eating crap in the rest of the day and that was really getting to me and so then we made this thing where on Sunday afternoon we would do all this snack prep for the week for me which was, really helped a lot was that early on or was that around the yeah fix? yeah that was definitely early on uh, cuz you and you don't a month or two in.
0: you don't really have an idea of how hungry you're, yeah. you're going to be, assuming that you were breastfeeding.
1: Yeah, I was. You're I was starving. I remember my mum coming over one night for dinner and my husband had cooked uh, like, I want to say like jacket potatoes with a bunch of bolognese and different things like that. And I had a giant plate of probably three adult servings that mm. I just inhaled. Like <laughs> I was so hungry. And my mum was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, Mom, I'm breastfeeding. Like mm. it's so much energy. So once we kind of resolved the snack issue, that was good. But yeah, when her sleep changed, which I wasn't really prepared for because I had fallen into this great pattern of only really needing to be up once in the night to breastfeed and put her back to bed, which was just next to us. Uh, but once that changed, I became very irritable, uh, really drained um, quickly frustrated with her like if we I remember going for walks in the morning which was always my go-to um just leaving the house as soon as like the sun was up after a bad night to kind of reset which helped a lot but I remember being on some of those walks and she like 10 minutes in would wake up and not want to be in the pram and so I remember always taking the carrier with me so I would have her in the carrier and I'd be pushing an empty pram and it would be so frustrating so I remember times yeah, just being really frustrated and irritable and people would come over to visit and I'd be stuck on the couch feeding after a bad night and my food would be in the microwave and no one would get it for me. And I just remember like it snowballing from that point onward for probably four months or five months Mm. was the more intense time.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, It it shows how
0: much sleep makes a difference. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's not to say your baby has to sleep from six mu- uh, from six weeks onwards, because yeah. most don't, but just being able to get rest where you can clearly mm. made a big
1: difference. Mm.
0: So how did you sort of um, come out of the other side of
1: that? She naturally just started to sleep more again, like less, um, waking less. I never really pushed it too much, but when she was about one and I was due to go back to work, uh, I did do some gentle sleep changes just so that she would wake a little less, like encourage her to wake a little less. Very gentle things to do with her day that mm-hmm. would help her sleep more soundly at night, which was appropriate by that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped a lot and that, because I knew that I couldn't go back to work functioning how I was yeah, and trying to use my brain in a very brain heavy job. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I did make some, we did make some changes then, which
0: helped. Mm. And I think that can be really stressful too, when you know that you're going back to work and your baby's not really sleeping yeah. as, as well as you would like them to, Yeah. yeah. um, yeah. So what was it like for you when you went back to work?
1: It was hard. I delayed it for like two months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I took two more months, partly because she was still breastfeeding around the clock. And I was like, there's no way she's going to go eight hours without that. And she never took a bottle. So I was just concerned about how my boobs would go as well. Mm-hmm. So I had to express in the, in the only room in the building with a lock, which was like the sick bay. Mm. <laughs> so that was fun just to, and she would just take that milk in a cup sort of the next day. Um, but going back to work was hard because I just wanted to still be home with her. And mm. I went back to work three days a week at the beginning and I, yeah, struggled leaving her with other people. She was uh, with my husband's parents one day a week and in daycare two days a week. And I really struggled with that. Mm. Like not, not being the one caring for her yeah all all of the time so mum, guilt yeah, not really guilt, just um like I didn't feel bad, I just really missed her, yeah, and really um because of our bond, just really felt like I was taking away from her what she needed, but I didn't feel like a sense of guilt around it, just more missing that connection,, mm-hmm. yeah, even though. You also need a break from it when yeah. it's 24 7. But it's,
0: you know, we're biologically wired to be around our yeah. kids and our babies, mm-hmm. especially. So, you know, it's not completely abnormal. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so, did you do any planning for postpartum? No. Okay. Other than, <laughs> um, in the short, other than freezing some meals? Yeah. Uh, I did no planning I yeah no none and so what was it
0: like second time round? did mm. you do any planning then and when did I've got a lot of questions around like yeah. when you became a doula and yeah how that sort of impacted your postpartum or mm. so let's start with did you do any planning for your second
1: no okay. <laughs> this is all before I knew about you know what we what we do now um yeah I, well, other than food, so I did a lot of planning around food, knowing that that was really my big thing from before, Mm -hmm. from the first time, uh, but other than that, no. And by this point, so I had finished work around 35 weeks pregnant and then around 38 weeks, Zoe, we took her back out of daycare. So she was at home. So I had both of them at home, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I really second time around just had to roll with it. He was again, a pretty solid sleeper at night. So that was helpful. And on the nights where he wasn't, uh, I would, even with her, I would, we kind of fell into a pattern where I would stay in bed until my husband left for work at about eight or eight thirty, mm-hmm. 30 and then get up. Yep. Yeah. So, and even, and if the kids were awake or not, like he would deal with them while he was getting ready for work. So that always gave me that extra sort of two hour thing in the morning so that I could get by. And by this point, Zoe had stopped napping in the day as well. Mm-hmm. Dang it. <laughs> like, hold on for just a couple more months. Um, but she stopped like a week before he was born. <laughs> uh, so I had no downtime mm-hmm. in the day. So the only way I'd get around that was to put them both in the car and go for a drive if I needed um, him to sleep and her just to chill. hmm So that I could just not think other than driving, like driving is thinking, but I would go on a freeway, you know, and just, uh, that was really the other thing. But in terms of planning, like resources and, uh, people to help me and that sort of thing, I still really didn't know planning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a couple of friends that were having, we were all having, you know, second children around the same time. And so we would spend a lot of time together so I definitely had my little village still in terms of my girlfriends Mm -hmm. my pet my mum lives a couple of hours away and so she would come down and stay over from time to time um but yeah that didn't happen for a little while because they were traveling when he was born so yeah I there was definitely more preparation but and I anticipated what was to come and so I was all set up with my baby carriers and that sort of thing, knowing and anticipating that he would just be in them a lot. lot. Mm -hmm. And so ahead of time, I knew that he would be on me a lot and I was already okay with that. Yeah. And, uh, so that made it a lot easier Mm. because I wasn't going through that whole, oh, they just want to be on me all the time. Like, Mm. why were not they just stay in their bassinet or, you know, their little cocoon thing or what have you, I already knew
0: what
1: what he was biologically wired to need And so I had already overcome that mentally before he came, which made it a lot easier.
0: What was it like the first time for you um, having that sort of mental battle around, yeah, like you put them down and they know as soon as they're away from you, they know and they wake up and you get frustrated. And what was it like for you coming into acceptance around that?
1: It was okay for me, but I definitely felt the external pressure. I remember the first midwife that came to our house after she was born, um, kind of saying how, like, you know, they look at your sleeping arrangement and that sort of thing. And and I had mentioned that that morning we had slept on the couch together for a couple of hours. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole, oh, you're making a rod for your own back. She mm. needs to be in the bassinet. That whole thing started like five days in. Mm-hmm. And I knew enough about the their biological behavior to know that i didn't care what she said mm-hmm. but i definitely felt that like um yeah what culture tells us and just needing to tap in more to what my body was telling me about how to be with her mm. rather than what the maternal health nurse was telling me about how i needed to be with her mm. so there was that which helps that's good though because a
0: lot of people would hear that you know five days in and that I mean that's such a horrible thing to be told anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But five days in, it's like there's so much going on for you hormonally, mm. you're very tired. And mm-hmm. then hearing that could, you know, completely just derail someone. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So it's really good that you um were kind of on top of it. <laughs> mm. Thankfully. <laughs> could have ended badly. <laughs> um
1: so How did you go with breastfeeding? Yeah, really good. Um, I didn't, again, do any prep. I'm not much of a prepper, clearly. It sounds like Um, you didn't really need to, though. (laughs) No, well, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I just, I don't know. By this point, I, I guess I went down a big rabbit hole when I was pregnant with Zoe around... I guess, natural parenting, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, although I think that is the term. Mm. Uh, And so I already had a a sense of how I wanted to parent and I already had that kind of framework that felt really like it resonated with me already. And so I didn't kind of land in it with experiencing a conflict. I had already had that settled, if that makes sense. Mm. And so also then with breastfeeding, it kind of, uh, float over to that too. So I knew I wanted to breastfeed. I knew I had this like number in my head of like, if we get to six months, that'll be awesome. I knew nothing about, uh, recommendations or how long babies and children biologically breastfeed for. I knew nothing about that. I just went into it and it got to six months and I was like, Oh, why? Like, why would, why would I stop now, like, not that I had planned to stop. I was just like, oh, I guess I'll breastfeed for six months until they start eating. Mm. Like, I knew nothing about, like, you know, that it's complementary feeding from then onwards and so forth. And so in the early days, yeah, I, um she latched on really well when she was born. We fed great in the hospital and that kind of thing. I didn't really have any massive nipple trauma or trouble. I had a few, like, midwives that helped me with positioning and latch which really helped and then I after my milk came in well it came in around 24 hours but after that I was very engorged I had oversupply for weeks and eventually started block feeding where I just would feed one breast at a time per feed Mm -hmm. or in a two or three hour block uh, which helped to settle it down dramatically so I once I got once I learned my breast a bit more and how my supply and demand was operating, uh, it worked much better. Mm. Um, but what gave me confidence around breastfeeding before I even got there was I had gestational diabetes and I was enrolled in this clinical trial uh, to look at the value of antenatal expressing mm-hmm. for babies born to gestational diabetes mothers. And so I had spent three or four weeks before her birth expressing colostrum mm-hmm. and became really familiar with my breasts and how milk can, comes out, like mm-hmm. not just in one direction yep. <laughs> and not just from one hole, <laughs> it's not a straw. Uh, and that gave me huge confidence then because I knew then when she arrived, I was like, I already know there's milk there. Mm. So there was never a thing of like, Am I, is there going to be milk? Am I going to be able to do it? Because I had already started practicing before she mm. was born. And I can't recommend that highly enough to anyone. I talk about it with my clients. Um, it's just so valuable just yeah. to get to know it and have that mental connection that, oh yeah, milk is already coming out. Of course, it's going to come out when the baby's born. Yeah, And so breastfeeding was really I mean, there were challenging times for sure, but nothing that was enough of a speed bump that it became um, an issue. So I breastfed her until she was just shy of two, 22 Mm -hmm. months. And that was really because I had fallen pregnant and it felt uncomfortable from that point. So I just gently weaned her. She was kind of down to a morning and a night sort of feed anyway. Um, So I just explained to her and over a couple of weeks, we just stopped. Mm.
0: And just going back to when you were saying you had in your head six months was how long you yeah. were going to feed for. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing where I said six weeks because I didn't know yeah. anything. Um, and it's funny how when you get to that six-week period or six-month period or whenever you decide was this number, mm. um, you kind of realize. Like, why would I stop? Because mm. you know, it helps put them to sleep. It helps yeah. calm them down. It's like to
1: sleep the whole, yeah, all the time.
0: And it's not as simple at, at six months to just be like, okay, no more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: It's um, it's just funny how we don't really think about that ahead of time, but I suppose we yeah. don't really, you don't know, well, if and
1: you're in it. That's right, and and we don't have a lot of necessarily people around us breastfeeding beyond. That point, I remember being at a party when she was about two months old, or six six to eight weeks, and someone said to me, "Oh, you're still breastfeeding? That's so nice." And I was like, "Okay," kind of took it, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, should I have stopped by now? Yeah, like, she's she's uh, like literally just came out of my womb." I'm not anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, obviously, it's good though.
0: Like, if other people see you feeding, maybe it inspires yeah. them. Yeah. So are you still feeding now? And I don't mean like still feeding. Like you're still
1: feeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still feeding. Um, no, I'm not. So Jack um, also fed really well and I had, yeah, no real issues there other than uh, the only thing I did notice breastfeeding with him was if I stopped eating excess calories like cake and pieces mm-hmm. of bread with butter and peanut butter, um, that my supply would drop off a bit and his weight would start to oh,
0: wow.
1: just drop in, like he'd still gain, but he wasn't gaining as much. Mm. And I noticed this and I said to the health nurse, like, could this be a correlation? And she's like, Oh no, no, no. Like, it doesn't matter what you eat or when, um, or how much like your milk should be staying the same. I was like, okay. So I did it again a couple of months later, like just pulled back on all the crap I was eating and it happened again. And I was like, no, this is definitely connected because mm. that's the only thing that's changing. So that's kind of what happened with him. I needed, I, and because I was running around after a toddler, mm. at the same time, I really needed those extra calories. Your body required <laughs> you to eat cake. It did. I mean, okay, what's body, better than that? I will listen. I'll have the extra cake. I'll have the, no, I, yeah, I just, I tried to make it nutrient dense as often as possible. But um, yeah, I didn't, you know, hate on myself for eating more. No. Uh, but he... I actually thought that he would not feed anywhere near as long as Zoe because they were totally different feeders. She was, I compare them like this. She was like a degustation at a winery. <laughs> she would like, just hang out, gaze into my eyes, oh. take 45 minutes and just Praise. like really enjoy the whole thing. And then he was like a McDonald's drive through. He'd be in and out like five minutes from a newborn. Eight minutes is, was the longest he ever fed. Mm. And he like packed on the weight. It wasn't like, it was just, he was more efficient and he just wouldn't linger, but she was a lingerer. Mm -hmm. And so I thought for sure this kid is going to be done by his one. Like there's no way he's going to be, yeah, he'll be done. But he only, I only stopped feeding him. He was two years and two months old. So Mm -hmm. like three months ago, I stopped feeding him.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah. part of it, you know, it's not just for calories, it's for comfort as well. Yeah, and so yeah. As they get that little bit older, I, I mean, for me, I found that my son is 100% a comfort feeder. And yeah. <laughs> so it changes. Like before that, yeah, he does. was a McDonald's drive through feeder yeah. as well.
1: <laughs> in the end, it was just at, at night, like going to bed, feeding to sleep, and then in the morning he'd come into our bed and have a feed. Um, so it was just those two, but eventually, um, how did we stop? I just, oh, he, like, he would talk about the milk because, you know, he's talking Mm. by two. And so he would be like, he would have some milk and then he'd be like, okay, no more other boob. And he'd go to the other boob (laughs) and then he'd be like, okay, all gone. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so we would do that every time we would talk about how much milk was in there for a couple of weeks, like Mm -hmm. as I was starting to wean him and then in that for that morning i'd be like oh no the evening i think we cut first i'd be like there's no more milk buddy there's no more milk um you can have a look in the morning and see if there's milk and he'd be like okay no it's fine and he would just cuddle to sleep or whatever and he'd fall asleep and it was fine and then in the mornings yeah he fed for a couple more weeks in bed and then a couple of weeks in i was just like i don't think there's any more milk there buddy he's like oh okay and that was it oh it's so good yeah and, and he I was s- like maybe we should stop now like are you okay if we stop you know we had a conversation he's like yeah there's no milk I was like okay <laughs> and Wait. that was not traumatic for anyone <laughs> I was like yeah
0: oh that's really good and I think if you like if you're not in a rush to wean or if you know you've got that time on your side if it's not yeah. urgent or like a medical reason yeah. that you need to wean um that's pretty much weaning goals yeah <laughs> it was good yeah um, so, when did your career change? Like, when did that all come about and why? I'm just wondering yeah. if becoming a mother sort of put you on a path to becoming a doula?
1: Yeah, it did. I didn't even know what a doula was before <laughs> I became a mother. Um, so, what, were, what so, was your job before? Yeah, I worked pregnant? in um, humanitarian aid. Uh, so, right before I left that career, I was a policy advisor um, for child rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a big NGO um, working internationally and so I went back to that job between like after Zoe was born after I went back to from mat leave so my background is human rights law essentially and so then when Jack was born I kind of felt like mm, I feel like there's a change like even before when I was pregnant with him I was like I'm not sure I want to come back to um, like an office environment uh, like I was already feeling heartbroken about leaving two children at daycare it just I'm not bagging out daycare at all mm-hmm. um, but for me putting two children in there it didn't feel good mm-hmm. for others it does totally fine everyone yeah. is like totally individual yeah. but for me I didn't want to be spending more time away from them than with them at this young like foundational age mm-hmm. and so I was like Well, maybe I could work from home more, but that doesn't really work because you can't work from home with children around. I'm not not in that capacity. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, So I literally, how did it happen? I I think I, well, I trained with Angela Gallo, Angela Phoenix Arsenal now. And I came across her on Instagram, I feel like when I was pregnant with Jack, maybe. Mm -hmm. And after he was born, again, another really incredible birth experience for me. Uh, and in the, in the interim of, you know, those three years, I had heard so many awful stories of people being traumatized by their birth. And, and I kind of felt like, why am I the only story I'm hearing that enjoyed it or didn't come out So scathed, Mm. like a few of my friends and family for sure, but others, like I was like, why is this? What is happening here? Like, what is happening? And the more I looked at it, and you know, uncovered what we uncover when we look into the system, I was like, no, this is not right. And my my background in human rights was just telling me, people are not going into this knowing what they got. We're going into Mm. and knowing what our rights are and how to make informed decisions and how to make sure that your care provider is helping you make informed decisions and not just giving you your decision. And I saw that people, yeah, were just going in wanting to go with the flow. And I was like, no, 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 we can't. And um, well, not everyone can. And so I... Then I still had my job to go back to though. And I was like, Oh, what do I do with this? And I'd heard rumors of a restructure at work. And I was like, Oh, it'd be so perfect if my, my role was made redundant. Mm. And then a, that would just like cut me off without me having to make a decision. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. B, I would have some funding to be able to do a career change and take my time establishing my new career, Mm. like in terms of buying some time for bills (laughs) at home. And so, yeah, it came about that I, my role was made redundant and literally that like next day I emailed Ange and I was like, okay, book me in. And so I, Jack was eight months old when I went to train with her and a group of others in Melbourne, um, for, to become a doula. Mm -hmm. And it was just a no brainer for me. Like there was just, there was no like, oh, what should I do? Should I try this? Should I try that? I don't know what I want to do. Like, I just knew it was like just the next natural progression um everything I had seen and done in my work overseas and here had like already prepared me for this in mm. a way yeah and so it was a no-brainer I just fell into it yeah but actively fell into it jumped off the cliff More so. So how do you think
0: um what made the difference in your two births to have, mm-hmm. you know, a really positive, empowering experience. Did you sort of um, do any, any work or anything like that while you were pregnant?
1: Yeah, I just, um, I enjoy, like, as much as I am intuitive, I also really enjoy some aspects of academia. And so I read a lot around what our body naturally does and what environment it needs to do that Mm -hmm. and how you know the system works and the difference between policy and law and uh, I just did a lot of reading a lot of talking with other mums who were who I would describe as very empowered individuals in terms of taking their medical um, situations for lack of a better word into their own hands Mm -hmm. and you know, I just then saw more and more this correlation between that taking things back and having an empowering experience. And I'm not saying there's one way to have an empowering experience. You know, Mm -hmm. you can have an empowering experience that is 10 different things on paper. Right. And Mm. it's how you feel about it. But, um, so for me, it was more, I trusted my body and I trusted birth Mm -hmm. like number one. Yeah. I had, I, um, I am of, I guess, the philosophy that occasion, like birth is a fundamentally physiological process that our body knows how to do that occasionally needs medical assistance, mm. as opposed to the opposite, which mm. is the system that we live in. And so for me, having that underlying belief is what set me up to have, was the preparation for, the, for those births, particularly my second birth.
0: Hmm. So without knowing what a doula was, you kind of
1: doula yourself, (laughs) I guess, um, I think there's a lot of doulas around that, that are not doulas. Like there's so many, like to me, you know, shining beacons in the birth community that would never describe themselves as such, but without even knowing it or doing it consciously are bringing people into their own Mm. light in that respect yeah and and there were a several of those in within my circle, and so that's what caught on i think
0: and how has becoming a doula changed the way you look at probably not birth because I suppose it's you know just sort of reinforced everything that you already believed, but in terms of postpartum mm. going from you know not having any sort of plans in place and not sort of. I guess, fully understanding what it's like, even though mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to have um, wreaked havoc for you, <laughs> which is yeah. amazing. Um, it's so good to hear like positive postpartum stories. But I mean, if you were to have that experience again, what would you do differently?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think I would be more conscious of um, my friendships, even though I had, you know, that physical village of a few of the mums in my area. Uh I have other close friends that don't live in my city who I I think next time would stay in better touch with, like my closest, longest, oldest girlfriends. Because for me, like, you know, Kimberly ann Johnson talks about having the companionship of wise women as one of the five kind of central universal needs of postpartum. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's a really important one is those wise women around. And so I think next, if there were a next time, there's not, the shop is closed. Um, (laughs) But if there were going to be another one, I would definitely more intentionally be making time and space for those wise women in my life to really be present more consistently Mm -hmm. than what they, than what I was doing then. Um, I was good with, yes, some of the other you know, foundational things around postpartum. So I think that would be the main one. Uh, What else would I do differently? Um, I think I'd be more proactive next time in having people help me at home with things like my own mum was really good with that, but uh, you know, lots of showing off the baby, not much else went on for both which is totally fine but if i were going to do it next time i would also have two young other children at home mm. and so i would be making more of an effort to make sure that i have more support in the home whether that was a cleaner or you know hiring someone to cook on occasion that kind of thing yeah i think is what i would do differently so just to take the pressure off myself
0: mm. Yeah, doing those things, especially when if you've got two younger children,
1: yeah, um, you need you need that
0: village that's more hands-on.
1: Yeah, and hands-on for them. Like, I think we kind of, in a way, neglect our other children in postpartum, like, like just by default, obviously, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. our needs are split. But um, you know, it's intense with young multiple young children who need snacks all the time yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the kitchen all the time which is totally fine but if I were having another newborn I would really make sure that their needs were covered off so that I had some release from their needs mm-hmm. the ones that other people could serve
0: mm-hmm. like food yeah you would teach the oldest about how to
1: <laughs> <laughs> here's a, where the cutlery cut a, cut a, is apple. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Um, what was the most unexpected thing for you in postpartum?
1: The isolation, Mm. because even though I had close friends, that kind of thing, the day, the daily, like on just a physical given day was isolating. I was at home alone. Uh, you couldn't always coordinate with other people, you sometimes can't even find time to make a phone call to connect with someone. Mm. Um, Other people were working during Monday to Friday. And so weekends were really busy, but then during the week, you'd have kind of often no one. So that was the most surprising element. I think that Mm -hmm. took me, I mean, I handled it. Okay. And that's why I would always get out in the morning to walk down to the cafes, bump into other people and have that social connection. But I was definitely caught a little off guard by how isolated I felt mm. in the you, early days.
0: Did you do the mother's group thing?
1: I did, and I, um, that really helps. And um, yeah. we met once a week, but then people started going back to work and so mm. forth. I still connect with those mums, and I'm still really good friends with one in particular. Um, but yeah, other than that, but even then, like you can't see each other every day or, Mm. you know, and it becomes a lot to see people every day anyway, but it took me a while to strike that balance for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What
1: was your biggest joy in postpartum? I love newborns. (laughs) I know some people really, uh, cringe at the newborn phase and Mm. really, Uh, yeah, don't take to it, which is cool. But for me, I love newborns. And so (laughs) my biggest joy was just being besotted by her Mm. and by him afterwards. Yeah, really like it sounds so cliche, but um, yeah, my biggest joy was napping on the couch in the day with them. Mm -hmm. And um, even though sometimes it felt you know, frustrating or, um, what's the other word I'm thinking of? Something similar. Um, suffocating sometimes yeah, when, you, when you out. couldn't get up when you wanted to. Yeah. But yeah, my biggest joy was just hanging out with mm-hmm. them and feeding them and cuddling them and letting, I, yeah, particularly with Jack, I don't think i put him down for a nap for for a very long time <laughs> yeah I knew how short that time was and I did not care how yeah. how much time he spent on me and because that was yeah my biggest booster really and it's, I would get it gets that oxytocin, oxytocin, oxytocin every single day every single day
0: yeah yeah oh that's yeah. so beautiful I love that answer because it's it is it's not cliche like it's simple and it's perfect like mm. cuddling, sniffing them. Yeah. Their little
1: eyes flutter while they yeah. <laughs> dream. It's making nice ten thousand of the same exact photos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But
0: I mean, you kind of have to you have to sort of succumb to that enjoyment because for a little while that's sort of all that's going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I did really surrender to it. Like it it definitely I know for everyone it doesn't, but for me it came naturally to surrender to that uh, and that was a big thing, yeah. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much, Carly.
1: Pleasure. Loved hearing your story. Yeah, it's fun.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, My handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.